following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship, St. Pete, in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. So I want to start off by acknowledging um, our condition. Um, so the, the title of today's message is The Heart of Humility. And we're continuing in the chronology and the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we're on the other side of the upper room. Jesus has instituted the Lord's Supper. He's washed the disciples' feet. Uh, he's, he's declared that one of them is going to betray him. This is where we're at. We're in the, we're in the upper room in this, uh, in this text, in this moment. Um, but I, I want to, as we talk about, like, you know, I, I, I'd ask the question of you, not looking for a response, but just for you to have thought, what is humility? What is, what is the origin of humility? What is the fruit of humility? What is, what is uh, you know, is God humble? Um, and how has he demonstrated his humility? And how has that affected us and, and benefited us? What is humility in relationship to meekness? What is meekness? You know, did, de- did Christ demonstrate meekness? And did he teach on it? <laughs> yes. You know, he, he lived it. You know, I know Joseph's theme verse. Um, we, many of us have life verses. A verse that I hear often from Joseph is Mark ten forty five. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I mean, the king of the universe, the king himself, like God himself, shows up, puts on skin in order to be our sacrificial lamb, in order to rescue, puts, makes himself nothing, takes on the very form of a servant being, you know, be, you know dies a sacrificial death, not just any death, but death on a cross in order to, 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 to set an example, but in order to make us right and bring us home. And he, and he humbled himself. And, and he's the perfect example of those things. But, but to, to, to just acknowledge what, what our condition, what our certain... I mean, is your life being lived for God's praise or yours? Like, do you, do you want the accolades of the good deeds in your life or do you truly want God to get the glory? Do we want to be seen and affirmed and recognized do you sometimes? Right? It's, I ain't got no hands right on that one. I mean, but like, like, <laughs> right, right. I mean, um, but but or are we just you know? And, and I'm not talking about disposition because some of us are dispositionally wanting to be, you know, right? You know, like, um, but 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 are we are we? We have to acknowledge that we we want to be. You know, we want to be acknowledged. We want to be recognized. We, we, at the very least, we want to be appreciated. But humility puts that all aside. And Jerry, is it next week you're working on humility? Or is it the week after? Okay. So like, um, he always says that to me. So like, but like, but guys, like, it's something that God is working on every minute of every day for us. Because that's who he is. And see, what God wants to do, he, so look, there's, you know, science is running after a perpetual battery, right? A, they, they want a perpetual energy source. Especially cell phone industry, they want to just expand that, that potential. And do you know that God has put an eternal power source inside of you? 
Eternal power, like himself. Like he says, you will be clothed with power, clothed with power from on high to be my. There's the purpose of the power. The purpose of the power is not to elevate our egos. The purpose of the power and all the gifts that, do you know that God gifted us to be a gift? Not to feel like you've gotten a gift today. You know what I mean? Like that, this, it's, it, the, the, the attitude of humility says, man, it is just not about me. That everything I do is for his praise and for his glory. And that is our sincere heartbeat. But we have to acknowledge that our flesh can often, and what, what couples that is our world affirms that, right? And, there, and there's a prince of the air, prince of this world. And let's remember what he said. I will ascend to the throne. I will. Like he wants God's glory. And that is what is present in the, the patterns of this world, in the culture of this world, in the leadership. Uh, worldly leadership has that, 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 that mindset that, you know, that I'm not here for you. You're here for me. I'm, I, I'm not here to serve you. You're here to serve. Isn't that what? And that's, that is the contrast. That's the antonym of who Christ is and was. And, and, and we are the recipients of that benevolent hum, like humility and, and meekness. We see the fruit of it. In fact, the scripture says that there's a bond of peace. And the ultimate bond of peace is described in Romans 5, 1 through 3, is now we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a bond. And do you know that that becomes evident in the context of community, whether that's marriage, the church, you know, two spirit-filled believers experience the bond, the cord of three that's not easily broken. And the two shall become one flesh. This is the byproduct. And one of the catalysts in that is, is, is mutual submission, is, is a humility says, no, you first. No, let's, let's do, not, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourself, having the same mindset, attitude as that of Christ Jesus, Philippians 2, 3 through 5 says. And so it's, it's this mindset that says, you know, that like John the Baptist, I must decrease that he might Right, like, and you know, do you know he said that, and even depicted his own like, his own disposition as far as feelings in that moment. He said, "It's my joy, as the as the friend of the bridegroom. Like, I'm the best man here. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not the deal. He's the deal, and I'm. It's my joy that he he is lifted up, that he is glorified, that he is seen. Guys, does what you do in your life, and I'm talking about career. I'm talking about everything." Does what you do in your life point to Jesus? It, more importantly, is how you do what you do in your life point to him? And, and what's essential for that to, to even to be the right, to have the right motivation there, what's essential is humility. And did Jesus humble himself? Yes. He condescended to humanity took on flesh, willingly like authored the cross in order that we might be redeemed. God, God submitted like in the Father's will, right, to a cross for our rescue and salvation. 
as my, yeah, exactly, Brendan, exactly. Shake your head, like what kind of love is this that my king would die for me? Like, and what he's trying to tell us in this passage is that's what godly leadership looks like. That's what kingdom kingship looks like. That's what, if you want to be, if you want to be great, become a servant. If you want to be really great, be a slave. And, and, and look, it's a slave to the father's will. And that will actually be manifested in practical terms as sometimes you're going to serve others like even wash their feet. He says, if I, your Lord and Master, do these things, shouldn't you do it too? If I do it. And, you know, what is, what is like, what is so compelling about this moment is that Jesus just washed their feet. Jesus just showed them what, what, what the king of the universe does. And it's not like they don't have some sort of a, an understanding at this moment of who he is. I mean, Peter's saying, no, you, you can't wash my feet, right? There's no way. I mean, I know who you, you know, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He just made this, this, this proclamation. And yet, on the other side of this moment, it says this. There, there was a dispute. This is in the upper room after he washes their feet and institutes the Lord's Supper as a proclamation that he's the bread of life and he's, his blood's going to be shed for their rescue and they start, they bust out in an argument about who's going to be the greatest. You want to wonder why our flesh is so prone to self-promotion and what, why we must deny our flesh and why we must continue to let the Spirit put to death that, that self-promotion and pride that always rears its ugly face and wants to be affirmed and recognized. And, and, and man, the contrast is where it's at. This is where... This, and here's the other thing, guys. Do you want to be on the same page with God? Hello? Okay, just <laughs> make sure. I mean, <laughs> Okay, so like, this is what he says. He says, it's over and over again, God opposes, now aren't you interested in what he, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God is in opposition to, to haughtiness and arrogance and pride. But when it comes to the humble, he is lavish in grace. Now, do you, is repentance a form of humility? Does it require humility to be repentant? What about forgiveness, guys? Does it take someone to, 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 to follow Christ's example in order to, to humble themselves? Did, did Christ deserve the cross? Was it for his sin that he went to the cross or ours? And yet he condescended to that opportunity. Why? For the joy set for, before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Why? So that he would ultimately be our king, seated at the right hand of God, and that he would make petition and advocacy for your, for your need. He would raise you up and rescue you. But, it, but it, took, it took ridiculous humility. We actually see it in the, in the story of the prodigal son. Right? In the story of the prodigal son, like, like you know, elders, men of, of great wealth and integrity and, and honor, they, they don't lift, they don't run, right? But who ran to who? Right? The father raced to the son when he, he said, when he had made one step in his direction. The father lifted and ran. Do you know that that, that is Jesus' intentional 
It's a picture of what Jesus did for us. When we turned in repentance, oh, I'm going to go home to where, 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 God is, where my Father is good. One turn, one repentance, one acknowledgement of how good he is and, and, and change of direction, repentance, stiff-necked, breaking the chains, and God raised, that's, that's the humbleness of God on display in the person of Christ that he raced into our pig's pen, our brokenness, our deceit, our rebellion, our pride, and he showed us a different way. And yet, in the midst of that, it just, I marvel at the fact that these boys are, I mean, like he washed their feet, people. You know, three, over three years of ministry where he constantly talks about, like, if you go to a feast, you know, don't go sit at the head seat. Sit at the lowest seat. Because then what's going to happen is someone's going to, you know, the, the host's going to come in and say, what are you doing there? Sit over there. Oh, come on, you, you sit, you know, like, and, and, and he ends that whole teaching with this statement. Even as the Son of Man, I said Mark 10, 45, this is Matthew's version. In Ma- Matthew 20, 28 says, even the Son of Man, self-declared by Christ himself, even the Son of Man came not to be served. Let's, we can just stop there. He did not have a purpose. You know, Wise men showed up with lavish gifts seven to nine months of a journey through arduous desert territory simply to come to Jerusalem because that's where the king of the Jews would be in the palace. And he says, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? The assumption is he's right. He's, but where is he? He's in humble little shepherd's village. Bethlehem, house of bread, born in a manger to a to a family of no regard, of no status. By God's design, humility on display, right? And he says, for the Son of Man came not to be served. There you go. That wasn't what he was coming to do, right? He says, but to serve. Like, look, and then he says, when, he, when, he, when we get to our passage eventually, like, he, he says, look, like, like, let's acknowledge that, uh, that the worldly paradigm is we want to be served. And we are th- our, 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 our broken paradigm says if, if they're the leader, then they deserve our servitude, right? And, and so, of course, they're the ones that are being served. And Jesus says, that's not the way it is in my kingdom. That's not the way it is in my heart or my Father's heart. That's not our hope for you. Is that, you know how we grow in greatness? By it's it's an upside down concept. You want to be great, serve. And you know it's funny how corporate America has has wandered into this this concept. Yes, like the the, the best form of leadership is servant leadership. Oh well, we we've kind of know that already. Sorry, you know, like like Jesus models that for us. But he said I keep that that he he's referring to himself uh, from the Ezekiel and Daniel prophecy. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Guys, if we're his disciples and learners, you know what the objective is: is that we will do what he's done. We will love the way he's loved and the way we've been loved. And so if he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, is that not the calling of our life? Are you, are you living to be served or to serve? 
Are you, are you living as, a, as an offering unto the Lord, living sacrifice? So, that, you know, Paul said, I'm filling up in my body what was lacking in the cross. Well, that sounds confusing, but what he was saying was, I'm continuing the sufferings of Christ for the benefit of the church, and the list is long in 2 Corinthians 11 of what he suffered, right? But, but in his mentality, he was going through this for their sake because that's the, that's, that's the paradigm that Jesus set for us. And when we get that, we don't, we don't think we're suffering. We, we, we know that we're saved to serve and that that's just a part of it, right? But there's greater glories to come that will make that so incidental is what we're promised in, in 2 Corinthians 4. Sheba's life verse, and she, she practiced it a lot yesterday because she was concerned that you might ask. And she, so, she, so she's ready for you to go, what's your life first? Um, but like, um, she was life first, Acts 20, 24, and this is what it says. Just so you know Paul's kind of humble posture, he said this, but I do not account my life of any value. And that doesn't mean he's not precious to the Lord, by the way. It's a statement of humility. Nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that, that, that I receive from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And as I mentioned, you know, we, we've, got, we've got countless, Paul brings this thematic element to every letter he writes. Everyone. Whether it's Corinth or Ephesus or Philippi, I mean, this is present. You know, and, and the aim in Philippi is that he wants them to know that the unity of the body is critically dependent on the humility of the body. You, you show me a marriage filled with pride and competitive spirit, I promise you there's a lack of unity. Right? But you show me a, you show me a marriage that follows these biblical principles, mutually submitted to one another. Right? And this is the mandate. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. But husbands... Love your wife, said Christ loved the church and gave himself up for, your, for her. Do you see it? It's, it's outdoing one another in humility for the benefit of the other person. In the text that we're looking at this morning, Jesus says, let me tell you what the Gentiles do. They lord over you for their own benefit. They're the benefactors. Here's the contrast. You get under. Do you know, submit, sub, like, you get under other people for, for God's glory and their lifting up. That's what Jesus did for you, no? Did he, did, he, did he make it possible for you to experience the glory of God and the elevation of the, 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 the deposit of God's good spirit? John the Baptist said, I must. I love that he said must. He said, I must decrease that he might increase. I must. And I think that that's, that we're told over and over again, Humble yourself. Jesus modeled that. Humble yourself. Because here's the thing. If we don't humble ourselves, we're going to walk through some pretty humbling experiences because God is relentless in his pursuit of his character in you. And he's going to finish what he started. You want life to be tough? Walk in pride and arrogance. Do you know that in the list of the seven things that God hates, two of them are, are, are pride? <laughs> two of the seven. Like, because he hates what it does to us. It distorts his ideal in our life. Do you know that he wants to empower you to leadership? He wants to call you into moments where, you're, where his power is put on display? You know what Paul said 
when, when he, was, he says this, he says, I, I prayed three times that God would remove this thorn in the flesh. And he says, but it says before that, it says, to keep me from being conceited because of surpassing revelations, God has given me a thorn in the flesh. Oh, but Satan wants to have his say, his say a messenger of Satan, right? But that's, look, God, God wants to empower us so that we're meek. We are power, we're, we're, we're empowered, but we're gentle and humble. Have you ever met somebody, I use Rob Butes as an example in here. Like, you ever met somebody that's physically strong? Like, physically strong. Like, and, and, phys- and, 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 and strong in character, too. Just someone that's just, but yet they're kind and gentle and merciful and loving. Isn't that compelling? Isn't that, isn't that winsome? Meekness. But God wants it to be d- demonstrated in spiritual terms. Like we're, we're, we're willing to, 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 to take less so that others have more. Jesus said, uh, this, this is what Paul said. Paul said, he became, he, he who was rich became poor so that we might become rich in him. That, does that require humility? So listen, listen to this passage so that when Paul wanted to bring to bear upon his statement of church unity and the essentialness of, of humility in, as a catalyst in that, this is what Paul uses. He says, I'm going to give you the best example I can give you on humility. And he says, it's Jesus, right? But before that, he says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. How's that going? Let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Be aware of what others' needs and interests and wants and desires are. Right? Shoes that are just really unique, right? Have this mind among yourselves, which is, in, which is yours. Like, this is so beautiful. Which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's a testimony of the Spirit. Like, we have the mind of Christ. That's what, that's what 1 Corinthians 2, 2 says. In chapter 2, it tells us that because of the Holy Spirit's presence in our life, we are literally like we've been given the mindset, attitude, like to draw upon that. But also, I'm sorry, uh, have this mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. What that means is to be held on to. He let it go. He laid it aside in order to condescend to, to humanities and, and to, to ultimately to the Father's will and mission. And he raced to that opportunity. Amazing, right? Who though he was in the form of God did not consider or count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Now, does that not talk about uh, kind of the, the process of humility? It's a perpetual emptying of me. So I'm, like I talked about earlier, like so I'm making more room for him. Do you know what has to get out of the way so that he, he get, we get in the way, the, the narrow way? It, it, it's us. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, God here, being found in human form. He humbled himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, I mean, every, on heaven, on earth, and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. And why I read that passage is multifaceted, but, but, but we understand our passage this morning when we read that passage because, guys, the cross comes before the crown. Take that in, right? We, in this life, did Jesus suffer? Did, 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 did Jesus uh, seek accolades or, or impose his power and his, his potential? No, he, he made himself nothing. He took on the very form of the servant. He died a, a debt that was not his own, right? But then when was the glory? When was the exaltation? It was on the other side. See, it's deferred glory. And, and that's why we walk by faith and not by sight because we are, we are walking in the midst, in this, this side we're afflicted and, and perplexed and, and persecuted and that's the blessed life. But it's a picture like in the, in, with the Israelites, right? They, they were delivered, then they passed through the Red Sea baptism, then they were in the, the, they were in the, 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 the promise, they were in the desert but there was meager means, there was suffering, there was battles, there was wars, there was adversity, there was compromise and, 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 and confusion, but, but God was with them. His spirit was in them, in their midst. And now we have a more profound like promise realized in that now, now we are the tabernacle. We are the holy of holies. We're the, the place that God's spirit abides and he's gone with us. He's going with us through the desert, but guess what's coming? The promised land. The promised land. And, and we should be more like Caleb and Joshua, right? That is saying, no, but God promised and I'm going to walk by faith because I know that no matter what, the, what, what it looks like, God said. And that's, that's our testimony in the midst of these things. But the glory is deferred. And we have to understand that, right? These promises that are made. And it, listen, and I want you to understand the kingdom has come and it's in our hearts, it's a, but it's here. It's inside of us. And it's meant to be demonstrated as something that is a reality that is profound. But, but the outward circumstances that we're in, you know, there's a prince of that air. And, and there's gonna, we're, we're on enemy territory. We're ambassadors on foreign ground. And that's going to come with its challenges. In Matthew 5, 5, it says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You know, this promise goes back to Psalms 37. That's where, that's where Jesus was, that's what he was referring to. L listen to some things I found about meekness. Meek, an attitude or quality of the heart whereby a person is willing to accept and submit without resistance to the will and desire of someone else, namely God. Meek is not so much an attitude towards others, but rather a disposition before God, namely humi humility and with gentleness. It is not something that we earn by what we do, don't miss this, but rather what happens, when we, what happens to us when we let go and turn our lives over to God. We, we understand that life's not about us. And, and there's, you know, there's, there's someone bigger than, and, and more worthy of our, of our adoration and praise and thanksgiving and lives. Meekness is not forcing my will, but rather submitting to his will. Do you struggle sometimes wanting to get your way? 
Anybody? We reflect this in our relationships with others when we yield our desires so that others' needs might be realized. Are you doing that in the context of your relationships? I think there's so much room for improvement for all of us, right? To, 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 to be more meek and be, be more humble. Do you know that this is, the, this is the catalyst to genuine forgiveness from your heart? This is the catalyst to submission to God in the things that are hard? Because true submission isn't doing what you want to do when he wants you to do it. It's doing what you don't want to do when he wants you to do it. Right? And so I have to ask this question. Do you have often to get your way? Does that work well in marriage? You know what James 4.1 says? And this, take this to heart. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not your own desires that are at war in your heart? And so maybe when there's dissension, difficulty, uh, lack of, uh, of harmony in, in, in any relationship, maybe we should look at our, our log rather than their speck and take an honest assessment of ourselves. And are we willing to be humble here? And lay aside our rights. God-given rights we're told to lay aside that we wouldn't be a stumbling block. When, when you are interested in self-promotion, it doesn't take much to start an argument. Is that true? Just get in a council meeting where everybody's trying to promote self. Guys, you know... The Christian life is not about trying to achieve some position or some accolades or some, some, some role in the church. God has already assigned all of that. Before I formed you in the mother's, your mother's womb, I knew you, he said to Jeremiah in 1.5. Right? So like, like it's about embracing and it's going to have humble disposition and expectations. I'll say that again. When you are interested in self-promotion, it doesn't take much to start an argument. Marriage and Christian community benefits tremendously from mutual meekness. Can you see that? And that is at the heart of a lot of Paul's teaching to the churches is that you, we need to be humble with one another. We need to care more about their interests than our own. We need to set aside our own desires. And man, this flies in the face. Isn't that why Jesus said you must deny yourself Take up your, say no to you, take up your cross daily and follow me, right? Like as if that's, you got you to gotta deny yourself and take up your cross daily before you can even follow me. You're not going to follow me. You're not going to do what I do in the heart and man, mindset and, and, and motivation that I do it if you're continuing to try to achieve you and your kingdom. It's got to be, it, I've got to go so that he might come. Mentality. The, the surprising context in the passage here is Jesus has just, as I mentioned, washed the disciples' feet. So it's like, you, you don't get it, do you? <laughs> I just showed you what it looks like, and here you are now arguing. Listen to the text here. I, I, I want to bring John to bear on it, and then I'll read the text and we wrap up. Listen to this. This is in John 13, 12 to 17. It says this. When he, Jesus, had washed their feet... Now, you remember this moment, right? Like it says, and this is so important that we understand the context here. It says this, Jesus knew who he was. He knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. Now, that is so important. Like, do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know who authored your life? And do you know where you're going? 
Because once we know those things and those are firm convictions in our life, do you know we can risk losing? We can, we can risk giving. We can serve at a level that, that never risks our identity, that never risks our sense of purpose or our, or, or, or our position in Christ. Because he knew who he was, because he knew where he came from, where he was going, it says he took off his outer garment, wrapped a towel around his waist, filled up a wash basin, and he washed his disciples' feet. Now, you know this is the role of the bondservant, like the, the servant of the servants. Right? That's the role in the, in the first century Jewish culture. And what's interesting here, and, and this came to bear upon me about five years ago, and I was like, how did I never see this? Like, do you realize that that this was kind of uh, this was a group experience that was Jesus was couldn't wait to have with them, and it wasn't like they had servants in the room. It was just them. And j- the sad reality is, no one took it upon none of the disciples took it upon themselves to wash feet. I'm not washing his feet. I'm better than him. And, and the challenge here is that potentially because, oh, you know, the Lord just washed our feet. I must be somebody. We got we to fight that temptation, don't we? Jesus died for me. I'm somebody. And man, I'll tell you what, the American Christian church wants that to be. That's, that's a sad, like, look, we're, we're, we're not supposed to be exalting ourselves. It's not about us. It's about him. It's about what he's done for us. He's the one that should get all the glory and the fame and the worship and the praise. Right? And so, so listen to what, on the, this is what Jesus says on the other side of washing their feet. And when he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garment and resumed his place. And he said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? The obvious answer is, nope. Okay. Um, you call me teacher and Lord. And I love that, it, again, he's, he's, Yep, that's who I am. And you are right, for so I am. I love that he says, I am. If I then, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to, can you read it with me? Wash one another's. Now look, don't go running out washing people's feet. Okay, just, you know, there's a place for that, but that's that's not the point. The point is this, is we should do things that are so humbling, that are, that are so beneath our status that, that other people are humbled by what we do for them, are just like blown away. Like it should just be so profound because it's lavish and it's generous, but ultimately it's humble and it's meek in its, in its effort, in its, its desire to exalt or to lift up. He says, listen to what he says in 15. For I have given you a, a, a what? Is that example for us today too? Right? For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I've done for you. And you know what he's pointing to here? It's not foot washing. He's talking about the cross. Because that's what the foot washing literally points to. He's saying that you should die so others can live. That you were saved to serve. You, 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 you've been given, you, you live to give. Like, that's what I did. I did not come to be served, but to serve. And this is what true greatness does. And when you really understand the upside-down mentality of the kingdom and its culture, you understand that this is our pursuit. We're not trying to, we're not trying to get more and be more. We're trying to make room for the more. For him. 
And, and, and that's why we, we, we've got we to gotta dig in. We've got we to gotta set aside all of these worldly trappings, all these, the, the busyness of life so that we can, get, we can spend more time in his word and in community and in mission, that we can be kingdom people. But truly, truly, I say to you, he says, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. If you know these things, Listen to this. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Blessed are you if you do them. Do you know he says that all the time? Like, build your house upon the rock. Everybody's heard the message of the Sermon on the Mount, he says. But, and everybody's going to get the same trials and adversity, storms and experiences. But those that practice my word rather than just hear it, will build their house on the rock versus the sand. And that should be very, very fresh for us just going through a storm, right? So here's our passage today. I leave it here towards the end of the message intentionally because I just wanted to lay the framework for this moment so that we're in the context and we understand the heart of Jesus and, and we understand the fullness of the, of the, of, uh, the bravity of, like, of the whole scriptures on this topic. Like the Psalms have Proverbs. Solomon has a ton to say about this. But this is what Jesus says. Now keep in mind, this is on the other side of saying, you know, my body, my blood, someone's going to betray me. I've washed your feet. Do what you should do like I've done for you. And this is right after that. And this is what happens in chapter 22, 24 to 27. It says, a dispute, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the what does that say? What? Like, doesn't that just seem like crazy surprising in the context? Like, and you know what's amazing? And I, I encourage you to download the notes or pick up some notes on your way out because there's some more passages that you can look at at this. This is the fifth time that they've been caught, basically, arguing about who's going to be first. And we've had mothers that have, that, that have, that, that have tried to, you know... James and John, you know, they've been good boys. Uh, maybe uh, they can sit at your right and left when you come into your kingdom, Lord. How, how's that sound, you know? And, and, and just so you don't think it's just mom's ambition, the boys are like, yep, we can, we can drink that cup too. They have no idea that he's talking about the cross. Right? I mean, we can be so ambitious for greatness and completely understand the, the, the requirement of humility and meekness and suffering and dying and letting go. That this is, the, this is the road that's been marked out for us. Like, it's, it's amazing. So, it, verse 24 says, um, what, they are, what they were disputing about was which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Hmm. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over you, over them, his, their constituents, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. What he's saying is, they lord over you for their benefit. That's what worldly leadership does. Right? And then he says, but not so with you. Not so with you. Rather, in, in, in stark contrast, let the greatest among you be, be become as the youngest. And why does he use that over and over again? In another place he says, but like, become like a child. What he's talking about, children don't have status. Children don't have a voice. 
Children are the meekest part of, maybe not anymore, because it seems like children in our culture get to decide where we go and do, you know, like, anyway, that's another thing. But, like, but what I'm saying is that, that that's the understanding, is that these guys don't have a voice. They don't have, they don't, they don't have status. They, they're the meekest part of, 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 of the caste system of society. And he's saying, you, you must become like them. Oh, but Lord, then, then no one will care about me and no one will think much of me. And, and no, yeah, you're starting to get it. But they might think more of me in the process and they might get saved as a result. And the leaders um, as ones who serves. See, like he's saying that, rather let the greatest among you be, uh, become as, a young, as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is... The greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves. Now he's saying in human terms, in, in, in current context, is it not the one who reclines at the table? But, as Fred said this morning, there's the contrast. I am among you as one who serves. And he's clearly saying, follow me, follow me, do as I have done. And so some thoughts. Jesus basically told them that they were acting like the world and not like his disciples, like the Gentiles and not like the children of God. Let's remember, he who was rich became poor so that we might become rich in him. Since we are all called to be servants, it's ideal because then there is no room for competition, for accolades, for recognition, if anything, we are looking for the opportunity to outdo one another in love, in humility, in kindness, and every other godly attribute and directive in obscurity in order to mutually encourage, edify, and build one another up for the glory of God, ultimately. This also strengthens the bond of peace. Man, if that's lived out in marriage, does marriage thrive? If it's lived out in, in community that, and, and by the way, this is impossible without the help of the Holy Spirit because my flesh wants me, right? But God's spirit, it's greater is he that is in you to overcome by, as we serve the spirit, controlled by the spirit, not the flesh because the flesh leads to, to death, but the spirit leads to life and peace, peace, right? It's, it's beautiful. And as I mentioned, this isn't the first time. Right, But Jesus finishes these thoughts and says this, You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I have assigned to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. When's that going to happen? On the other side of his return. And, our, and, 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 and the resurrection. And so again, what is he pointing to? Be servants here. The glory's on the other side. You, you must first, the, the cross must come first and then the crown. Jesus knew that. And he embraced that wholeheartedly, fully. Our faithful service and servanthood today is preparation for us or for the glory that is to come. Right? Uh, I, there's a few passages that I want you to look at um, that, that, that really show Jesus talking about this before because the boys had, <laughs> had argued about this a lot, about I'm greater than, you know. I mean, and then to, final, to, to, to wrap up, like, listen, listen to this. And I love that Kristen brought this up in our Bible study this morning. Like, one of the things I mentioned in one, 
one piece that I share with you, a piece that I wrote, uh, is that word competitive. Like, when there's a competitive spirit in a marriage, then, they, then you end up celebrating their defeat rather than their success. You're not their number one fan. You're looking for them to fall. When there's that same competitive spirit in any relationship or community, it is destructive. And we see it with the disciples. You know, John has to tell us that he outran Peter to the tomb. Right? Like, and we see it in, in all these moments. There's this competitive, and that's a part of our, our, our like, we want to be, be we want to we prove our, and that's got to die because it's at odds with the bond of peace. We, we, in order for us to put some ourselves under others, we, we can't at the same time want to be better than them. Does that make sense? And so, you know, we see all these principles. And Paul kind of emphasizes this in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. He says, I, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then he says this, with all humility and gentleness, which is meekness. With all of it. With patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So, to wrap up, this is the worship team comes. The fruit of meekness is the bond of peace. Often in that moment, we feel like we're losing. Does that make sense? I want you to just acknowledge that because th that's what the flesh is going to say here. Was Jesus losing when he went to the cross? It might have looked like, like on Friday, but Sunday there was a whole different narrative. Right? Unity takes, now don't miss this, unity takes sacrifice. And trust me, Jesus proved that. Unity, humility, and meekness takes sacrifice. Where do you need, and this is the application to this morning, guys, where do you need to be meek for the benefit of the bond of peace? And it might be in your church. It might be in your marriage. It might be in your family with a brother, a sibling, a parent. Where do you need to exercise humility and meekness so that the bond of peace becomes the reality because of what Christ has done for us. Ask the Holy Spirit. I know for some of you, that's like, whoa, you don't know what they did to me, right? But listen, Jesus didn't have that attitude. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can too have this right attitude. See, forgiveness requires humility. It does. Jesus served us to save us. So we are saved, saved to serve. And don't forget this. Peter said, and Peter knew. Peter understood. Peter went through it. Peter said in chapter 5, verse 5, he said, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject, be subject to the elders. Does that require humility for, the, for younger folks that think they know it all to be subject to those that might have a little wisdom? Yes. And, he, and that's, that's part of the culture of the community of faith. But then he goes on in the same vein and says this, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.